Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. Authenticity is the key, especially in this new era of social media where people have access to your entire life. Consumers can tell when something is not authentic now. And the moment that they do, it's like, oh, we're not not messing with this person. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome to the True Prescription Podcast. Today I had a great show. I got to interview Eddie Blackman, who's a, a music and talent a manager and A&R, among other things, a podcaster. But as you listen to the episode, you'll see the theme. The theme really is about connection and the importance of connections in your life. So obviously we jump into his truth. He combined his personal and professional. And it's really about sometimes when you fail, it's not really a failure. So he, he talked a little bit about that. We got into, again, the topic of connection and what makes a good connector, how you can leverage relationships and allow relationships to leverage you. We talked about how authenticity is super important when it comes to getting your message out. And that's what I realized, man, with, with, the, with these things. is It's not even just about if you're a, an artist, right? Because a lot of you that listen to my show are not artists, but it's with anything. Even if you're talking to your spouse, How are you going to make the greatest impact? It's about authenticity. You know, are you being real with her or him? And oftentimes what will happen is they will reciprocate in kind. We talked about what it takes to be a good marketer, which is in line with what I just talked about. And then lastly, we talked a little bit about podcasting and why he wanted to do his own podcast and the importance of sort of finding your niche and uh, building your legacy. So that's it. Enjoy the show. Uh, close your eyes and open your ears and let's do it. Good people. Welcome to the True Prescription Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Mr. Eddie Blackman. What's up, Eddie? The hardest guy to research <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> he apparently, damn sure is. Apparently. I had even asked to get access to his Instagram. I mean, that's usually <laughs> just open. You know what I mean? No, I do that for a reason. That's good. That's good. No, I, I know. I know. It, it, you you got to be careful who you let in. You know, it's important. And by the way, I want to say this to you, Eddie. Eddie Blackman is a black-ass name. I just want you to know that. Eddie Blackman. But people say it's a Jamaican name because it's spelled Uh, M-O-N. Blackman. (laughs) And truth be told, when I was a teenager, I had like four jobs during the summer. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was actually like a running joke. Blackman. So Eddie is the uh, CEO of A Shade of Red Entertainment. He's a talent manager in uh, A&R, which means artist and representative. I was also a managing consultant. He's worked with artists like Snow Allegra, Ro James, Stacey Barth, and John Legend. Worked as the director of marketing for Island Def Jam, 
for Kanye's imprint, A Good Music, which uh, I just found out means getting our uh, getting out our dreams, which was kind of cool. You didn't know that? No, I never knew that. And uh, he's currently vice president of AWOL, which is another cool acronym, Artists Without a Label, which I love, which we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. That's and, actually changed recently, by oh, the way. Oh, it has? Yeah. Okay. So we'll get, we'll get into that. Lastly, Eddie's got a podcast coming out soon called... The cast of R&B. The cast of R&B. All right, cool. So I wanted to have him on. You know, we met, loved his vibe, thought he was a cool cat, entrepreneur at heart, just just good energy. So I wanted to bring him on because anytime I meet people that are successful, I know there's a story behind their success. And it's not just, you know, they always say, behind every good man is a good woman. He does have a good woman. But I know there are other things other than that have spurned you, you know, to where you are today. So... We'll start with uh, where we always start, Mm -hmm. with the truth prescription. Now, for the new listeners, basically, uh, I've done this show over the last almost four years now because I realized in my own journey that we're afraid of truth and that when I accepted the truth that was in front of me, I had massive breakthroughs and Mm -hmm. was able to be more and more successful. And it still happens every single day. I learn new things, or I should say I accept new things that are around me all the time Mm -hmm. that I may be ignoring or not aware of. So, you know, Eddie, in your journey... You know, all the way from Chi-Town to Arizona State to all the various places you've gone and people you've worked with. Give us either a personal or professional truth that, you know, a story about something maybe that you ignored that once you accepted it, it catapulted you. You just you just was gone. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've worked I was working at uh, Island Def Jam in 2008. I got a job in marketing and it was my okay. first I don't want to say real job, but it was the kind of path in the music business at that time was interning and then assistant and then like your real first opportunity. And that was okay. my real first opportunity. And prior to that, I, I had been in the Sony system working okay. in various capacities. And so I started in the summer of 2008 at Def Jam. Okay. And that was my first real opportunity to work with artists. At the time, I was product manager for Big Sean, who okay. nobody knew. Okay. Product manager for an artist named Ace Hood, who was signed to DJ Khaled at the time. Ace Hood, this guy with the uh, with the diamond fronts. Did he? He's got diamond fronts in. Now know. he does. Yeah, now he does. I haven't yeah. seen. Him I know a, a dentist that put him in a hundred <laughs> hundred and twenty diamonds in his mouth. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, Ace Hood. <laughs> then uh, also Chrisette Michelle. Oh yeah, the Roots. Although I didn't okay. really get to really work with the Roots, but anyway, so the culture at Sony and the culture at at Def Jam and the Universal System were totally opposite. Mm. Sony was very corporate and, you know, shirt and tie. Not that I wore a shirt and tie, but you get the idea. Yeah. Def Jam was very cliquish. It was very high school, very, oh, there's the cheerleaders, there's the jocks, there's the nerds. It felt like that. And coming from Sony, it was almost a culture shock. So I was trying to figure out what I fit into the equation. (laughs) So my friend... Uh, who's some of my friends today and one of my mentors had hired me. He had just got the position as the head of marketing there and hired me. And so he was getting acclimated as well and not, you know, we we're try- both trying to figure out the, the lay of the land. Yeah. And I was there for three months. I saw that. Trying to, <laughs> trying to figure it out. It didn't work very well. <laughs> and it wasn't really because of my skill set. It was really because I wasn't a part of a clique. Got it. And I ended up getting fired 
Wow. That was my first time getting fired from a job. Well, a job that mattered. Was it from your man that hired you or was it somebody else? So he actually had to fire me. It wasn't, it wasn't that he wanted to because yeah. that was my direct report. He, yeah. he had to. Somebody told him to, to fire me. So, Yikes. yeah, that was, and it was a complete, came out of the blue. Yeah. I came into the office and he told me to come see him and there was an HR person in there. Uh, and I was like, what I do wrong? And it just came it just came out of nowhere. And was it like this like today you gotta go? Was that that kind of thing? Oh yeah, it's like Yeah. Give me already, your ID. We, we already got your you know, the box in your your uh, office. And so yeah, I got fired and, and I and I left and I was like, Man, what happened? Yeah. And I was still trying to figure it out. So that was September of two thousand and eight, I believe. Probably be a few weeks after that, I'd reached out to John Legend, who I had previously worked with in, in various capacities. And I asked him, you know, did he have any opportunities? And he was like, yeah, I need somebody to run my new venture uh, mm. called Homeschool. I said, okay, great. Yeah. Um, there had been somebody there prior to me, uh, but she was transitioning out. So he brought me in as, as general manager. So we were in Miami, not too far after that, we were shooting a video with Rick Ross. This was the first collaboration of many with John and, and Rick Ross. Oh. And Rick Ross was signed to Def Jam at the time. Okay. The general manager of Def Jam happened to be at the video shoot, who was also there at the time that I was at Def Jam. <laughs> and so we were talking, and she made a comment to me. I'll never forget. She said, don't worry about what happened to you at Def Jam. Hmm. You fell up. Hmm. And I think about it like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it was at that moment that I realized that was the best thing for my career at that particular moment because yeah. I was going to hit a dead end there. And she was the one who really made me think about it. And it's it actually, it wasn't until years later why I actually found out why I was fired. But again, it wasn't because I fit within the... The clip, and you found out that that was the like there was somebody, yeah, that was, was somebody, around. That, there was somebody specifically that didn't, and I quote, think that I was Def Jam material. <laughs> somebody who who was in the West Wing at the time. I call I called oh, the executive wing the West, West Wing. wing. Oh, yeah, it was you. funny. Even at the in the building, it was the old eight twenty five Eighth Avenue building where everything was carpet. But then when you went to the West Wing, it turned to hardwood floor. Oh. The nice sparkly oh. plaques were on the wall, so you kind of okay. knew. So yeah, someone didn't think I was Def, Def Jam material in the West Wing. Well, I'm going to say I thought it was cool that you actually still left that on your LinkedIn, you know, the four-month stint at Island Def Jam. A lot of people who try to bury that because it no. brings up some questions, right? So that was dope. Honestly, no one's ever really asked me that. Because if you think about it, you, you don't put it. I got fired from no, there. No, no. But, but it's good. To, it's good it's a, it looks good to be on your resume. It looks good to be on your resume, but I, I guess I'm saying like you could have not put a time interval, right? I know LinkedIn makes you so you could, you know, yeah. But a three four or four months, yeah, three clear or four months that, gap, right? Something, something, yeah, something happened, yeah. And when you said you that the woman told you like that you fell up, it made mm -hmm. me think about this Denzel quote. He always he he says in his speech, "When you fall, make sure you fall forward," mm -hmm. right? And it makes me think about that, you yep. know, kind of like always learn from your mistakes. So yep. you, you you fall, but you know, it's it's not a, a what do they say? It's not a uh, a set down, it's a set up, yeah. something, something along those lines. But the crazy so, thing is I didn't make any mistakes. Right, right. Had nothing to do with right. me or my work ethic or 
anything of that nature. Just somebody didn't think I was Def Jam material. How <laughs> oh, well? Well, they were right, though, actually. Right? If we really I guess, look at I it. I guess so. I, I, <laughs> right? I guess they you were, were you, correct. You were somewhere else. You yeah. were in a, in a different echelon. Yeah. Right? So that's dope. So, yeah, I mean, we can glean from that just sometimes situations aren't made for you. Yeah. But if you continue and keep in your your heart the, the drive for what you want to do, mm-hmm. right, you could have not reached out to John Legend. You could have, in your head, you could have been like, shit, I'm a, you know, not I'm a failure, but I just failed at this. You know, why would he want to hire me particularly? Yeah. But clearly relationships are important to you. You understand how to leverage The them. absolute key to this entire business is relationships. I think it's any business, not just the music business. But I could see how in the music business, it's more Absolutely. concentrated. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's your profession. You got a personal or you want to roll it? You want to leave it right there? Let's leave it right there. Let's, let's, let's leave it, it there. Let, let's let it let lay. It let, it lay. Let, it, let it lay. Let it simmer. Let it lay. Let it lay. All right, cool. All right, so let's jump into some questions. First question is, you know, you're a connector. Mm-hmm. And part of your job really is to connect mm-hmm. people and as a product manager, the product being the artist, connect them to, you know, the consumer who's us, you know, the listener. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes a good connector? Going back to the relationships, right? So I'll give you a prime example. It's, and it's very timely. So as I mentioned, while I was at Def Jam, I was Ace Hood's product manager who was signed to Khaled. Mm-hmm. Khaled had just got his We The Best imprint based upon the level of success he had been with putting out his projects, his own mixtapes or albums. And so Khaled used to call me literally every day, (laughs) 10 times a day. No, no No, bullshit. No bullshit. No bullshit. Yo, Eddie, what they talking about up there? (laughs) Yo, what's up with Ace? (laughs) Literally. So one thing about Khaled, he's one of the most genuine people, period. Okay. What you see on social media is him in real life. Like it's not a, it's not a show at all. I mean, it's okay. a show. It's because you're entertained, but it's not, that's not like, oh, okay, I'm going to turn it off when I get home. That's who he oh, is okay. in, in real life. Wow. So that's how I developed my relationship with my initial relationship with Khaled. Obviously, over the years, we've done some business, you know, we're getting John on some records. So last year at the Grammys in LA, not at the Grammys, excuse me, at the after party for the Grammys, I was at the Sony after party. And he was there and I went up to him and I was like, yo, I was like, I know that you're working on a new album. You know, I'd love to get my guy on it, referring to my guy as in John Legend. Mm -hmm. He says, yeah, I'm working on something. I might have something for you. You know, give me a few weeks. Mm. So one night I was up late working for whatever reason at the house and I get a FaceTime from Khaled. It had to be like 2 (laughs) a.m. Yo, Eddie, I got it. (laughs) I got the record. Where's John? Like probably at home sleep, but <laughs> right, right, you know, right. send me a send me the record. Right, Khaled talks as you can see. Like, did the vocals come in? <laughs> like, you know, even on text, it's like right. that. You know, top secret, everything top secret. So he he sends me a uh, a text with the record in it. It is a hook referenced, and then it's Nipsey Hustles, a verse from Nipsey Hustle. This is after he passed. This is before. This is before. This is before. Okay. Wow. So this was this was like early March. Okay. And I was like, oh yeah, John's gonna fuck with this. So I ended mm. up sending it to John. John liked it. We went through the whole motions of John cutting the record, sent it back to Khaled. His Nipsey, you know, did his second verse, and it happened all kind of quickly. So Khaled calls me maybe mid March, says, 
yo, we want to shoot a video to the record. You know, what's John's schedule? <laughs> it's like, you know, he's available this date, that date. So there was some there was some shuffling of the schedules around. I, f- I forgot John had to do it early or Nipsey. I don't know. I can't remember. So we shoot the video at end of March uh, for the record called Higher. So that's came, the video with the the cars and the, they on the roof and all yep, that. Okay, on, that was the roof. Blue, of the, Nipsey's got like the electric the all, blue the, yeah. suit on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hot. So we go to L.A. Well, I go to L.A. John's already in L.A. and shoot the video. Khaled and John were there first, so they knock out John's solo parts for the hook. So then we move over to the second location in Inglewood on the top of a parking structure. It's blocked off as police officers, security, et cetera, et cetera. So this is the master performance where all three of them were supposed to perform. Nipsey's like 15 minutes late. So John was sitting in the car. I was standing outside. I was talking to some people. So Nipsey pulls up. So John gets out, told John, oh, yo, Nipsey's here. So Nipsey comes up, and the first thing that he does to John is apologize. Like, yo, I'm so sorry that I'm late. You know, I got mm. caught up in the studio, this, that, and whatever it was. And he had never met John before, so I thought it was very telling and very humble someone to just come up to someone else and say, hey, yeah. you know, I'm a, I apologize. Or that, you know, I'm late. Now, granted, he was, like, no more than 30 minutes late. Like, in rapper time, like, that's, that's on time. That's actually <laughs> early. So they go over, and they, and they shoot, and, you know, John raps his part. And I was going to go, there's a specific image, it's actually on my Instagram. I don't know if you saw it after I gave you access to it. I probably did. It's all three of them at the at the end of the video kind of pointing to yeah, the sky. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that was John's last performance. And I was going to go over there and I was going to take a picture with all three. I'm not usually like the big, oh, let me get yeah, a picture. Your Instagram, like... It's crazy. Like from 2000, end of 2018 to like January 2019 was nothing. Yeah, it was, was nothing. Like, Yo, what happened to this I'm guy? Just, I'm, just not that, I'm just not that guy. Three days later, I'm in Atlanta for whatever reason, and I'm catching, a, I'm sitting at the Atlanta airport because my flight is delayed, and I'm in the United Lounge. Mm-hmm. Sidebar, Colin Kaepernick was in there playing spades with somebody. That's weird. My man, who's, who's John's road manager and right-hand man, yo, did you hear about Nipsey? And I said, what do you mean? He was like, Nipsey got shot. Damn. I was like, what? So, of course, I go on, you know, social media, and sure enough, Nipsey got shot. And then however many, you know, minutes or hours later, he's pronounced dead. And mind you, this is three days after we just shot the video. So now the, wow. now the lyrics of the song and the meaning of the song kind of takes a whole different light. Yeah. So that was the end of March. And then... Like all of the, I think we like performed the song at, not we, but they performed the song at the BET Awards and the different tributes. Anyway, so fast forward to the Grammy nominations, this song is up for the best rap song collaboration at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost positive they're going to win that Grammy. I mean, not just because of the circumstances, but just because of the other people in the category. They're not like traditional singers on songs. But again, going to, you know, long, long story short, that record was based upon that initial time right. and relationship right. that I built with right. Khaled while I was at Def Jam. Yeah. I, I would venture and say there would be no higher record with John Legend and Nipsey and Khaled had I not worked at Def Jam for four months. <laughs> and fell up. And fell up. Right. Fell forward. And fell, and fell forward. Do you maintain your relationships like organically or do you have like a calendar like all right I, I haven't connected with this person in two months so I make sure or is it just a kind of a natural thing 
It's a natural thing. One thing that I, I do that I think people appreciate, and I don't know why I started this, everyone always likes to go on social media and, oh, it's my birthday. Wish me a happy birthday. Right. And I always take note of that and just put it on my calendar. So, and I have it repeat every year. So at 9 a.m. every, you know, whatever day somebody's birthday is, I just shoot them a text. Nice. Like, yo, and I may have not spoken to them for that entire year, but yeah. hey, yo, happy birthday. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's just something. Something small. Yeah. That, yeah, that you that, can do that, that is shows. still meaningful yeah. and kind of impactful. And I try to do it because I have the, the alert go off on my phone at 9 a.m. that particular morning. So before it goes on social media, right? Like I was here before you put it on social media, <laughs> right? So it wasn't because you put it. On it social wasn't media because that, that you put it on social media, right? But then you know, if I find if I don't have it on my calendar and I see it, then I put it on on the calendar. Okay. But that's one of the things. But yeah, everything is pretty much you know organic, especially around like holidays. Oh, yeah. You know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You know, shoot out a you know a text, just yo randomly if I'm thinking about it. So the way that I have people, specifically artists in, in my saved in my phone, I have in the company I just have it says artist. Okay. And so if I type in artist, then it'll have all the artists that come up in my phone. Got it. And then I'll just, hey, John, hey, yeah. this person, hey, that person. Yeah. Yeah. When we met the second time, we talked about one of my favorite artists, Ryan Leslie and his super phone. Right. Who your friends <laughs> Just as we were talking, I was thinking that although it's catered to business, right, his Superphone, and for people that don't know, Ryan Leslie, probably one of the most underrated artists, but he came up with this technology to help artists manage their fans, which mm -hmm. is more personal than email um, and things like that. But I was just thinking, like, even for people listening, that might be a cool way to just manage your relationships. Oh, you know what I let's, mean? Let's, let's, yeah. be, let's be clear. Yeah. Ryan, so every two weeks, it would auto-send me something huh if you look at the dates and wow. look at the times wow oh yeah three thirty. Every, every wow every two weeks on that on uh what let's say wednesday but you know it's funny <laughs> when you respond you didn't respond because it's because it's, it's an auto, auto. And it, wow. it, yeah because it's an auto thing wow but, but that but that's the still. technology of Superphone. so right. it speaks to what you're saying is yeah. that you can set alerts and things through using using that platform being able to just shoot somebody uh like what's good? Yeah, yeah. And he does that. He does that to a lot of people. Now I actually have a real relationship with yeah. Ryan. So yeah. if I really wanted to get in contact with him, right. I could. You know how to do it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that. I mean, he showed me that that platform. It was called something else before Superphone. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Be a connector. Second question. So managing and marketing are kind of like two different hats, right? And you, mm -hmm. you do both well. What character attributes do you have that you think allows you to kind of do both? Or is there, the better question is, is there one character attribute that you use for both? So, you know, a little bit of my history and somewhere in there, I'll answer that question. Typically, when you get into the music business, you start as an intern. Well, let me take this back. 15 years ago, the entry point <laughs> of the music business was usually starting as an intern at a record label. Mm -hmm. in a specific department, let's say it's A&R, publicity or marketing, and then you become a assistant. And then at some point you become, you know, if it's in marketing, a junior product manager, you kind of work your way up through the marketing, you work your way up through A&R, you work your way up through publicity. The way that I started was a little not that way. Traditional, yeah. Yeah, non-traditional. In the fact that I started as an intern 
at the time for the president of black music at Interscope. And this is when 50 was just started, like had in the club out and was mm. rocking. Mm, mm. And I was there for, yeah. for nine months. Actually, now that I just thought about it, I got fired as an intern there too. <laughs> That's a whole different story. Because <laughs> I, used, I used his bathroom. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then I moved over to, at the time, Sony Urban, which was basically the moment where they took all the urban artists from Epic Records and all the urban artists, urban artists from Columbia and put them all together, and they called it Sony Urban. So I, I had interned for the general manager at that time, okay. uh, Lisa Ellis. And so I had kind of a purview of everything that was going on within the company from mm. you know marketing, publicity. And then I segued after that to working directly with Kanye and, and Good Music. And again you have access to everything. It's not one specific thing. So that was three years. And then I then I moved into Columbia as an assistant, but I actually was more of an assistant because the person that hired me, Al Branch, it was at that time managing Kanye and also handled all the marketing for Kanye. Mm. So again, I was involved in different things. Then Got from it. Columbia is when I went to Def Jam and then had that very short stint in marketing there. And then I started working with John as a general manager of homeschool. So again, having, uh, you know, a 360 kind of view of everything, you know, we had artists, we had an artist, um, Estelle over at Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, this was when she had a big American boy record. We had John's brother who we were developing. And then I signed an artist named Stacy Barth yep. to homeschool when Motown was reactivated under, uh, at the time, Island Def Jam when Ethiopia have to marry him and take, took, taken over Motown. And then I transitioned into managing her. So I basically was able to apply all of those things that I was had learned over that time frame into yeah. management because management, as you know, is a 360 business. Yeah. And as a manager, you, you have to know your client. The most important thing about managing is knowing your client and what their needs are. Okay. I was more hands-on and involved in Stacy's not only business, but also personal life. Mm -hmm. And then along the way, I picked up another client, Ro James, who you know, it was very self-sufficient. So yeah. it wasn't, I'm not managing his life. Right. You know, I'm right. like managing his actual career. So, but again, applying all of these things that I've seen and learned throughout my times in and out of record labels and working with Kanye and, and, do, and do John. Ma do managers sometimes have to manage artists' life? Like they're making sure they get up and eat the right food and all that kind of 1, crazy stuff? thousand percent. Wow, I didn't know that. That's, oh, that's absolutely. Deep. absolutely. That's deep. So I was able to, again, apply all of those those things and attributes to the management portion. And I had a couple other clients here and there. I had a producer uh, named DJ Camper, who's known for a lot of big records with Tamar Braxton and her, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. So, you know, managing a producer is completely different, completely different as well, yeah. because it's just schedule, connecting the dots. And that's really A&R, right? Because mm -hmm. you're connecting, you know, his production with songwriters and artists. And then that's how I, I eventually segued into doing A&R, which, you know, or at the top you said artists and relationships, but A&R really stands for so many different things right mm -hmm. now. It's, you know, mm -hmm. analytics and research, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely transformed the, there's what I call alcohol and reefers. <laughs> Listen, I mean, if you if you go into the studio with an with an artist, basically, you may, yo, basically, actually, I'm gonna use that one. Alcohol, <laughs> reefer, reefers, and reefers. You gotta say reefers. Reefers. <laughs> you gotta bring that too. 
So yeah, it's uh, it, the the concept of A and R is has changed. I know we're getting away from the original question. No, but, it's all good. But yeah, that's that's changed a bit. Going a little bit deeper into the manager thing, and then I'll, I'll we'll jump off the, the the manager thing. Part of your job really is to to take their vision right and put it out into the world, right? And so for people listening, what do you do? Or how do you glean kind of or, or extract kind of like what they're about, what they need, what their needs are, and then translate that so that it's, it's, it's acceptable to the audience. And the reason I'm saying is because there are people listening who aren't necessarily artists, but mm-hmm. they have something to say, right? They have a vision. What's the best way that they can take kind of like what they have on the inside and and really put it out to the masses? It's an interesting question because while I was managing two artists, they were signed to major labels, Motown and Rose at RCA. Stacy was at Motown, Rose at RCA. He's still at RCA. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm doing A&R at AWOL, which is an independent distribution label services company where the artist has control over when they want to put out the music and how they want to present it to the world. There's two different answers to that, Hmm. right? Because on the major label side, they're funding it. And Hmm. so they have kind of final say in what goes out and what doesn't go out. For example, if you're familiar with Ro James' first single, Permission. Yeah, yeah, just... uh, I just want to spend a little time with you. That's right. That wasn't I like record. your falsetto. You've been doing a lot of falsetto today. Only in the bathroom. <laughs> Only in the bathroom. Only in the bathroom. My wife loves that record. In researching for this, I hadn't heard it. And she was like, are you on drugs? I was like, you I haven't heard that record? She's like, I haven't heard it. I was like, I haven't heard it. And she's like, she don't listen to, she's like, you don't listen to the radio, which she's right. I, I don't listen to the radio. But I listened to I was like, this is a banger. Like, I could see why. But she was like, I love this You can see why I was the number one record for 10 yeah. weeks yeah. at Urban AC. 100%. And, and, the video, and the video, you know, I'm a, I'm a film guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I do films. Like the film, I was like, oh, they shot this like so low budget, but it was so clean and just so like it's a $5,000 video. I believe it. I yeah. can see it. I, but because I'm, a, because I'm, I do film, like I know it was low budget, mm-hmm. but it didn't look low budget and no. it looked clean. The story was great. But see, that's Rose's aesthetic. If you know Rose James, that's his aesthetic. That would, that could literally just be a day in his life. Yeah. El Dorado. L- literally. There's, yeah. there's nothing about that video that is not authentically him mm. and that was the whole purpose and, and shout out to mark pitts who's the ceo of by storm entertainment and president of uh, urban at rca mm-hmm. he was the one who a made us put out that song okay when it was not the first choice okay yeah ro and i talk about it in my podcast the cast of r&b coming to podcasts yeah 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 soon that wasn't the first choice for the record he wanted to put out something more of the lines of uh, one of the songs that we had did independently called Pledge of Allegiance. Mark had brought us that record and said, no, this is the one. Y- y'all got to mm. trust me. And we put it out. And like I had said, it was a 10-week run at number one at Urban AC. You know, they're still playing it to this day, still yeah. in heavy rotation. Put him on tour with Maxwell and, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, and just really started the trajectory of his career. And can't say that, you know, had we put out another record that that would have been that so so that's when you're kind of in the major label route when you're on the independent side you can just literally do what you want when you want you're financing it mm-hmm. right you own the masters you're doing depending upon the level of, of which you you're at within our system you're doing all the marketing so mm-hmm. if you want to put a record on valentine's day your birthday your mama's birthday mm-hmm. you can do it no one's going to tell you no mm-hmm. but sometimes it's harder right because you don't have that big machine behind you. You don't have those big dollars behind you. So 
you know, you, you got to kind of weigh the options. And so that's why our particular business model is AWOL, at AWOL is good, but the major label also has its pros and cons. So it just really yeah. depends on the artist and, and what they need. I guess the, the, the question is about like the audience, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with the major label, you have all their whole marketing, market research, you know, engine behind you. Yep. But if you don't have that, I guess my question is kind of in your experience, what has been the things that you've noticed with artists that have resonated with the wider audience? Is it like personal connection to something personal about them? Is it like, what is it that someone listening could translate to? All right, if I put my message out, let me make sure I add these things in there because that will help it connect with folk. Authenticity is the key, especially in this new era of social media where people have access to your entire life. Like I said, going back to, like for, for instance, the DJ Khaled thing. DJ Khaled has been himself authentically his entire career. It's not a, I'm turning this off, right? Right. You know, right. the Roe video, that's, again, authentically him. Anything that you, any of his visuals, that's authentically him. Consumers can tell when something is not authentic now. And the moment that they do, it's like, yeah. oh, we're not, we're not messing with this person. If you remember years ago when it came out that Rick Ross was a correction Oh, officer. <laughs> and there was about five minutes where people cared about it and then they didn't care. And then he's still been having this amazing run. Right, which I thought then. was interesting. Now, had that been 2019, may have been over. Who knows? Mm. Because again, when you're talking about authenticity, people are like, oh man, you ain't, you used to be a parole officer, correction officer. You ain't hard. You, you ain't, ain't street. You know, yeah. Rick Ross was a real drug dealer. They don't care. And, and, <laughs> You know, I love Ross and love Ross's music and, and oh. all that. But again, when, you, when you're putting things out to consumers who are paying their hard-earned dollars for something, they want to make sure that, you know, they're getting the best product. Yeah. If I'm going to pay $50 at a steak for, at, you know, at Ruth Chris, I don't want a steak from Denny's. Yeah, <laughs> that they just got from Pathmark. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I want the right. ribeye. You want that 80-day that aged. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that's important. So uh, you mentioned the podcast and we talked about it at the beginning. Just tell me a little bit about, tell Alyssa a little bit about what was your motivation of, for doing the podcast and why do you think podcasts are important? I am not a person who gets too caught up in social media and all of the things that, for me, social media is more of a resume, me personally. Okay. It's more of a resume than anything else. I was talking to one of my mentors some time ago. And so you you mentioned it, there was like a, a year maybe that went by where I didn't post anything. I yeah. just was like, whatever. And he was like, yo, you got to like remind people of what you do. Because a lot of stuff that I've done has just been behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't really care about it. But now social media will make it, it'll start to play with you, your mind a little bit when you see this person who just got recognized for this or this person who got recognized for that. Like, damn, I've been doing that for a year. I ain't never right. been recognized. But it's right. a, it's kind of my own fault for not putting it front and center. Yeah. So The marketer didn't market himself. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> the, the irony. So, you know, I started to see all of these things that were happening. And, and again, going back to qualifications, there are no real qualifications to do certain jobs, right? Yeah. People yeah. just you know, wake up and say, oh, I'm going to be a stylist. I'll wake up, oh, I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to wake up and do a podcast. Right. And I have tried a lot of different things over the course of my career that I would start. And the moment was a great idea. 
And then it was like, ah, I'm not really into that. Mm-hmm. I'm a Gemini, so. Yeah. The, the good part. Like, oh, that was a great. And then the bad part. I was like, ah, eh, never mind. That was a good part. So I started to look at the landscape of, you know, obviously the, in the emergence of podcasts and everybody is starting a, a podcast that was based upon hip hop, rap, or pop culture, or just culture in general. And I said, well, nobody is really focusing on this R&B space. So I, I sat and I've always been good at coming up with like names for things. And so I was just sitting down and I just started, I was like, I'm going to just do a podcast that's focused on R&B. Mm-hmm. Just sitting down writing a list of different, you know, potential names and it was either the the R&B cast or the cast of R&B. It was, I only had like five names. And I usually, you know, once I come up with something, I will circulate it to like my inner kind of circle of, of people, four mm-hmm. or five people. And I'll say, hey, which one do you like? And it's almost like a voting process. <laughs> it's usually the best, you know, the best one wins. So it ended up being the cast of R&B, which A, is a play on the word podcast. Mm-hmm. And then talking to people who contribute to the space, not just artists, but also producers and yeah. songwriters and executives and managers. Yeah. Because a lot of times the artist, not a lot of times, the artist is always front and center, right. but there's no real story. Like, so growing up in the nineties, sidebar, I always, I was a DJ at a roller rink growing up in Chicago and I used to go buy CDs and I always used to read the, the linear notes mm-hmm. and you see all these names and produced by and, but I didn't really know what that mean that meant until I got in the music business and then said, oh, okay, this is the hot producer. This is the hot songwriter, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of times they are also behind the scenes and don't really care. They just want to get their royalty check and keep it moving. Yeah. So I wanted to highlight people who contribute to your favorite song. You know, what's your favorite song? R&B song. Like currently, don't give me something from like. <laughs> Current favorite R&B song. Let me see. Like I said, I don't listen to the radio. I mean, I'm going to tell you, uh, <laughs> Mint Condition. <laughs> you sent me swinging. I said, I, I said current. You, you gave me something. Like, know, you sent me swinging. Let me see. Some current R&B. Got to be something I like. What's out now? I'll tell you if I like it. Oh, geez. Uh, there's Tell her, there's LMA, there's... Oh, okay. Yeah. LMA's album, her record. I mean, it, it came out last year, but I, I liked the record. Okay. I thought the record was dope. So, yeah. I'm just tripping. Yeah. Just or the record. Uh, boot up. Boot up, yeah. Do you, the, know who, uh, do you know who produced that record? I don't. Do you know who wrote the record? I don't. I usually look for that stuff, but I didn't. I don't. I'm pretty good. Like if I hear a like a producer, I'm like, oh, that was... If I hear a song, a lot of times I could be like, oh, that was Just Blaze or... Mm-hmm. That was Tim. Like, I have an ear for that, yeah. but no, nah, I don't know. It, I don't know who it was. No. Nah. I don't know off the top of my head either. But the point that I was making is that I'm pretty sure it was DJ Mustard because that's who she's assigned to. Okay. But the point is, is, a lot of times those writers and producers don't get their quote unquote shine. Yeah. They're behind the scenes. And some of them don't want to, but some of them do, but don't want to put themselves out there. Like, they don't know how to. Yeah. They don't, you know. So that's a lot, a lot their, of the, that's their manager's job, I guess. If they have a manager, yeah. but yes, but but remember, there's no qualifications to being a manager. That's so true. There's no, there's no I real could checklist. I just wake up and be like, "Yo, I'm a, I'm a up, be a man. And up. trust me, there are people <laughs> that that absolutely one thousand percent do that. But the point that I'm making is that in this business, perception is reality. So if you don't have a <laughs> perception, then the reality is that you're not doing anything. When in fact, yeah. you're out here writing records. Or yeah. you're out here producing records, number one records, yeah, for you know whatever that's worth at the end of the day. Yeah, well, 
we'll talk about COBOL at the end, but it means something depending on what's important to you, right? Absolutely. How much of your own, you know, royalties are you are you keeping? How much of your your artistry are you actually seeing the benefit of? And that's a whole another conversation that we'll, we we're gonna get into. Significant versus, <laughs> I'm sorry, success versus significance. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I, I was yeah. at I was at church last week, and the and part of the like the, the sermon was success versus significance. The success portion was how is it all about when it's all about you? You know how much money can I obtain? You know what kind of materialistic things could I buy? Mm-hmm. Where significance is oh you know I've made all of this money, but now how can I give back? How can I make other people's lives better? How can I be of value to others? Yeah, yeah. Am I working in my gift. So it sounds like for you, this is about, and I'm just going to use this phrase that you can agree or not agree, kind of cementing your legacy. Like this is what I've done. It's really about brand building. And building the brand. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, as you know, when you're doing podcasts, you're sometimes spending money out of your own pocket, you you know, unless you have advertisers and things of that nature. Absolutely. To help offset some of those costs. It's sometimes hard to monetize a podcast, especially when you're getting it off the ground. So mine is just really more about brand building and bringing yeah. awareness to, you know, people who are doing things in the space of R&B and behind the scenes. And it's really mm-hmm. more so about people behind the scenes. So the, the whole idea was what I did was I, I made a a spreadsheet of all of the artists and managers and producers that I know in the, in the space of, of R&B. And when I looked up at it, I had like over a hundred names. That's great. Just p- yeah. People that I can call personally yeah. Yeah. and say, Hey, you know, would you do this for me? Or can you, and the response has just been great. You know, I, I knocked out three in one day, I went down to DC and did a few, yeah. you know, all I got to do is get to Atlanta, get to LA and just set up shop and just knock out another five, 10 each. So, yeah. but again, this is, this is just all based upon relation. There's that uh, word again, relationships. relationships. Yes. So yeah, theme, it's people. It's, it's just theme. more about, about brand building. And, you know, for a lot of newer artists who are on our platform at AWOL, they don't have those opportunities to really tell their story initially. Yeah. So it gives them another outlet as well. Not that obviously right now my, brand of in terms of the the um, in terms of the podcast is even out and, and built but again yeah. when it is people go search you know yeah. they'll find the linkedin page where once your podcast hits and you get up to i think what did my guy tell me a thousand streams mm-hmm. i got i have a connector that can get you advertising easy oh need them dollars yeah because yeah. i'm coming out of pocket right now that's right that's why right. I can only afford the, the small you know bottle of dr pepper i can't get the big <laughs> can't get the big one <laughs> Briefly tell the people about COBOL. I think it's an important thing for creatives to know about. What COBOL, COBOL is? COBOL and, and, and AWOL. Yeah, so COBOL is a publishing company that was started in 2001 okay. for creators who wanted an alternative than the traditional co-publishing deals from major labels. It's been quite successful. It's basically, they do admin deals. So the company only takes 10% of your income okay. while just giving it to you. So we're basically a third party that's just collecting on your behalf and only taking 10% as a fee for it. That's great. And just for people that don't know, publishing basically means when your music is music out there in the world, they make sure that you get the revenue that's due you. Yes, and it was built on technology. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. It was It's built on technology where we're able to collect from, and not to get too deep into it, but mm-hmm. every basically territory in the world mm-hmm. has their own collection hub. Yes. Yeah. And we as a company are basically able to centralize that and bring it all into one place where Beautiful. other 
places have to use other third parties and it gets messy and it's more streamlined. Yeah. AWOL, which originally stood for Artists Without a Label, was a distribution company that was in London. It was based in the UK. Uh, and in 2000, my years maybe off, 2011, 2013, somewhere around there, Cobalt purchased it because they saw where the, the trajectory yeah, of natural, where the business was going, yeah. right? Digital distribution. Yep. So prior to that, Cobalt Label Services existed, where it was basically servicing artists who were really out of their major label deals and just needed to continue to put out music. So they mm-hmm. had people like Lenny Kravitz, uh, Nick Cave, and such on and so forth. So what happened was about 2017, you had Cobalt Label Services, and then you had this new digital distribution platform that was just kind of sitting there. So somebody had the bright idea of, oh, let's put it together. So they was mm-hmm. rebranded as AWOL, which now stands for A World Artist's Love. Okay. I mean, I didn't come up with it. I like the other name better. Yeah, me too. But yeah, so now AWOL exists as kind of the master side of the business, being able to distribute artist music at any level of of where they're at in their career. So if you're just putting out record one, or if you are kind of a mid-level artist and need to put out music, or if you've had a major label deal and then figured out, oh, this is not the way that it needs to be for me. So we're able to grow with the artists throughout the trajectory of their career. Just so it's a, it's a really good platform. It's still building, but yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. Beautiful. And it's, it's good you're there too, because you have a lot of, um, you know, just your experience, your perspective. The whole relationships. Thing. Relationships. The theme of today's talk was relationships. relationships. <laughs> okay. All right. Eddie, this was great. Thank you for having me. This is Thank the first, you. I think one of like the first interviews I've done. Yeah. Well, that, that was when I asked you, had you been on the podcast? You said no. And I was I, like, yeah, I definitely have not been on the other side of the podcast. Yeah, I'm happy that you, that you accepted. And you know, sometimes you ask people to do stuff and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you send them the, 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 the link and, and six months crickets. later, it's called it, the music business. <laughs> they're like, yeah, man. Uh, See what happened was. What? <laughs> right. So you're a man of your word. And uh, oh, of I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And it's, it's no secret or no, uh, surprised why you you know you've been successful in your various endeavors so i appreciate you man if i ever need uh some medical uh absolutely i got you for free no charge that's what I <laughs> quid pro quo all my friends say that i'm their uh insurance uh, plan they call me their <laughs> insurance plan it's hilarious tell the people uh how they can reach you or just figure out you know what your instagram is and all that stuff that's coming down the pike instagram is at Eddie Blackman, E-D-D-I-E-B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N. I might accept you. Oh, yeah. I may right. not. He, yeah, it's depends. private. It, it's private. That's right. It's private. So you just got to look out. Catch, it, forces, it forces people to actually, if they want to find out about you, to yeah. actually follow you yeah, versus just go to your Instagram page and not follow you. So it's just a way to kind of get some numbers up. That's I almost right. have 5,000. Yeah. And I don't know 95% of those people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's the that's the main way. All right, cool. All right, good people. Thank you for listening to another episode of True Prescription Podcast. I will sign off as I always say that the truth will set you free if you let it. Mm-hmm.